All right. That was so great. That was so beautiful. Hey, everyone. Good morning. Good to be with you guys. Welcome to The Exchange. Uh, if you are new, my name is Josiah. Uh, I would love to just say what's up after and meet you. Um, we're in Psalm 95. Psalm 95. If you would, would you please turn to Psalm 95? If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to get you a Bible. Psalm 95. Don't be shy. We'd love to get you in so you can follow along with us. I think we have some people in the back. They're about, yeah, we'll pass them out. So hold your hand up high. Psalm 95. It is great to be with you guys. Um, hey, let me just say this. I want to thank you guys uh, for a few things. Uh, we had a prayer walk on Thursday night. So thank you for those who, who just came or maybe from home prayed with us uh, to start off the new year by just seeking God, calling upon him, walking around our city. So thank you guys for that. Uh, means a lot. Uh, we left last Sunday, my, uh, I did, to meet my family in California for my mother-in-law's memorial. And so I just want to say thank you guys for your prayers, for our family, just um, for this week to just be with our family. It's a great time. And I just so appreciate you guys with a lot of texts and phone calls. So we just thank you guys. Thanks for being a family to us and ministering to us this week. That meant a lot. Um, hey, let me just kind of explain where we're at, what we're doing. So uh, next week, we are starting the book of Jonah. I am so excited for this. Uh, we're looking at this just from the perspective of God's vision for a wicked world, God's vision for a world that's far from him. And I'm excited to go through this book with you guys. We'll start this next week. Also, next week is our two-year anniversary. Uh, we launched this church here on a Sunday morning, January 21st, 2018. So it's been two years. God has been so faithful, so good. So we're going to celebrate. Uh, so next week... Church, when church is over, we're immediately going to go to Mayo Howard Park in Deerfield Beach, and uh, we're just going to have like a little picnic, barbecue, some bounce houses for the kids, some games, just some time to hang out. So that'll be at one o'clock right after church. If you want to head there, we're going to have some people tearing down here, some people setting up there, but it's going to be a beautiful week. Bring a friend as we start Jonah, as we have our two-year celebration. I'm so excited uh, for what God is doing. And I just want to remind you guys, last week we did like a launch of our community groups. Uh, our groups go three months on, one month off. And so we just try to give our leaders a break uh, every so often. So we just started community groups. And if you're looking for community, we did a message on community, what that is. Go back and listen, be a part. We'd love for there to be 100% participation where we can meet throughout the week, pray with each other, encourage each other, confess sin to each other, just help each other. So please uh, go back, listen to that, join a group online. There's a table in the back for that again today. We'd love for you to be a part of that. All right, so we're in Psalm 95. Now, this is our last message on a series we've been doing called Spiritual Formation. What we've been looking at the last three months is like spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices, uh, things that Christians have had for a couple thousand years. We want to kind of reintroduce that to us. So our hope is to kind of get a head jump on the new year where everyone wants to have a resolution. We've been trying to introduce practices or habits like prayer, like fasting, like confessing sin, like generosity, like silence and solitude. We've been trying to like look at different aspects of these spiritual disciplines. And I'm just kind of curious because I've given you this definition weekly now. I'm curious if you can do it, but spiritual, form spiritual formation is, and try to fill it in. It might be up there, but okay, I guess you can cheat. Spiritual formation is what? Being by the Spirit inwardly into the likeness of Jesus through timeless practices and disciplines. Spiritual formation, we're being formed by the Holy Spirit inwardly into the likeness of Jesus through timeless practices and disciplines. Our hope is to take on these practices, these disciplines. We talked about this idea every week. Everyone's being spiritually formed in some capacity whether you're being made more and more like Jesus or less and less like Jesus. There's unintentional spiritual formation. 
through relationships, through circumstances, through TV shows, through movies, through things we listen, everything, everything is forming us. And either we're being unintentional or we're being intentional. And so here's what we're going to look at. For our very last one, our very last topic, uh, our very last practice is going to be on the topic of worship, the practice of worship. And this is so key. This is so important. This is why I want to end with this one. But here's the idea of the practice of worship. Um, I don't, I'm not just talking about Romans chapter 12, let your body be you know, living sacrifice. That's our spiritual worship. I'm talking about singing. I'm talking about praise. I'm talking about when ch- the church gathers together on a Sunday just a community of believers calling upon God, confessing sin, praising him, crying out to him. I want to look at that type of, of worship. 41 times in the book of Psalms, it's, there's a command. It says, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song. We're just constantly commanded to sing to God, to praise God. If you think about it, Christianity is very unique. As a, even as a world religion, you can look at it from the perspective, we are singing people. We sing. We sing truth. We proclaim truth. But we love to sing and worship and praise God. That is very unique. We gather together and we acknowledge God and we sing to him and crowd to him. And there's just something about singing. I think it's St. Augustine who said, uh, singing is praying twice. The idea is not, we're not just saying it, but it's just coming from the inner depths of our soul and our heart. Maybe some rapper said that as well. I don't know. But there's, there's an idea that it just comes from deep from our heart. It's just, there's something beautiful about singing. You know, if you, if you think about it, uh, if I just said the words, then sings my soul, my savior God to thee how great thou art. Like, okay, you, you, yeah, that's cool. But when you sing it, I, mean, I can't sing it. I don't want to. I was about to, but I'm like, no, don't do it. Um, but when you sing it, like then sing, when you sing that out, there's something about that that does something to us and for us and to God. And, for, and we're, so we want to look at this idea of just how do we be a community that practices worship? Because some of you, this comes naturally. For many of you, it might not come so naturally. It really might be a practice for some of you. Like, this is hard for me, maybe as a man, or it's hard for me in this circumstance of life to sing to God, to show emotion in this way. So we want to look at this. I, I do want to say this. I think every significant and profound moment in my life, life has really happened around the context of worship. You know, I've read a lot of good books. I've listened to a lot of good sermons. Many of them, inspire, I've been on a lot of mission trips. Many of those things do some really good things for me. But there's nothing like when you're worshiping in your room alone or with a group of people, and you're crying out to God and you're praising him where you feel like God gives you vision, God reminds you of what's important, where you feel like you have that sense of calling and that weight that just comes from worship. I think even just specific things in my life that the Lord has called me to do has come through just times of prayer and song. And so we want to get to this. We want to get back to this. So let me kind of do really quick a little uh, recap or review of just worship from the book of Psalms. So we're in Psalm 95. The idea of the Psalms, it's it's a Hebrew hymnal. This really is a book of praises. The word psalm in Hebrew is tehillim. It means book of praises. It's literally just songs to God. It's worship songs to God. Uh, David or different authors would write these things, and then they'd literally give it to a guy named Asaph or someone else, and he would actually put music to these words. So they were written. Some guy would take them and put music to them. The people would sing them. If you look at the book of Psalms, it's actually broken up into five books. There's 150 Psalms, but if you want to look at it, you'll see book one, book two. It'll even say that. We'll put that up here. But book one, chapter one through 41, book two, and so on. And it's, it is interesting. Um, if you read it through this perspective, some say that these five books in the Psalms, because book one, book two, book three, book four, book five, are like a mirror or reflection of the first five books of the Bible, um, of the Torah. That if you read book one of Genesis, you know, Psalm one through 41, it reflects Genesis. And it is interesting to look at it from that perspective. Uh, but we're going to be in Psalm 95. And the idea of the psalm, the psalms, is that this is a workbook on worship. 
that the Psalms are not just there to inspire us. They are inspirational, but please listen. The Psalms are, are actually an instruction manual. So here's the idea. We're not just to read this and be like, wow, that's really inspiring. We're supposed to read this and do this. So when it says, clap your hands, when it says bow, when it says kneel, when it says stand, when it says lift up your hands, the whole idea is like we should be doing these things. When it says drop the bass, we drop the bass. Whatever it says, we, we try to do. So our hope is to look at this book and to say we want this to be an instructional guide for us on how to worship. See, praise means looking up. Worship means bowing down. And anytime we look at these words, anytime we study, we actually want to do this. We want to practice this. I would love for, for God to use this, this book, this teaching, this message, in, in many ways to shape us and form us where we would clap, we'd celebrate, we'd bow, we'd kneel, we'd stand. That we would worship in spirit and truth, not worry about the, what person next to us is thinking, that we'd genuinely be able to worship in like freedom. I would love to see the Lord do that more. I know it's hard, but I'd love to see the Lord do that more and more. So we're going to read Psalm 95, and uh, we're just going to read it all the way through, and then we'll pray and look at it more in depth. So Psalm 95 uh, you're going to see a lot of instruction on worship, and then there's a warning, the last few verses, worship and warning. Psalm 95, verse 1, it says this, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Here's the warning. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years, I was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. It's a really quick change of like tone where he's like, let us worship, let us sing and watch out if you harden your heart. And it's a really interesting twist. So I want to look at this. We'll look at that even change of tone. And uh, let's just invite the Lord to really speak to us. So Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can come and worship and sing. God, we thank you that we can slow down to praise you, to celebrate you. God, there is something about, about music. There's something about singing. There's something about this, God. And um, you've commanded us to do this. You've called us to do this. You've created us to do this. So God, just speak, just move God, I ask that you'd bring healing. I know that many times it's not easy or we want to, the desire's not there. So God, I just, I just ask that you bring clarity even to this. I ask God that um, we would truly be a people that praise you, that sing to you a new song. So we just lift this up, Jesus, in your wonderful name. Amen. You know, I think we can all agree that uh, music itself is very powerful. There's something about music. Music just does something to us. I don't know if you have your favorite band or musician, or I don't know what kind of mood it puts you in. Uh, when I was in high school, my, my glory days, at like 15, 16 years old, I'd always listen to music before a game. Maybe you remember that. It was some like hype music to pump you up. In that day and age, it was Lose Yourself by Eminem. I don't know if you remember that or heard that. But I would like listen to it during war. I'd, I'd even like, they play it a lot, or I'd listen to it before in the locker room. And I remember listening to it and getting so hyped before the game, like during the layup line. I would use all of my energy and like try to like, I just, 
be a freak. And then, like, by the time the game started, I'm like, sub. I was so tired. Like, I was exhausted because it really took away all my energy. Uh, but there's something about music. You know, there's music that you might listen to at night to kind of relax you a bit. You know, maybe you've heard of Bon, bon Iver, Bon Iver, or however you want to put it. That music is very relaxing. You know, they joke around that even Bon Iver, when he listens to his own music, he falls asleep. Like, there's just something very relaxing about it. Um, I have a four-year-old who loves songs. He loves to dance. He's a four-year-old. And so he's fun because, you know, we get to just, like, sing and he'll dance. It's just fun in a house where, like, you'll just, like, I'll sing a song. He'll just, like, start, like, doing this weird little dance that he does. We do this song, uh, just, we just called uh, Dance Party. We made it up. All we say is the word dance party. We just go, I'm not going to sing it, actually. But we just say dance party, dance party, and he, just, he loves it. He loves dance party. Um, and there's just something about music that when you sing it, when you, when you say it, when you do it, it just moves us. It really can change your mood. You know, it's interesting how certain music we like, Maybe we go back and listen and we go, that's pretty messed up music. The lyrics are actually terrible. Like, it's weird how you go back and listen to music and you go, that actually put me in a depressing state. Music is incredibly powerful. Like, we have to acknowledge that. Now, let me just say this. Music is not the enemies. Of course, Satan can use music to draw us away from God, but who created music? Who created song and dance? See, not only can the enemy, yes, use music to draw us away from God, but listen, God can use music to move us toward him. I do want you to see that music itself is very powerful. This is something that is good, that God created. It's, it's, in a sense, you know, I think it's redeemable. I think it's one of those things we got to look at and say, God, use this to shape me and form me. Here's why I'm bringing this up today. Um, as followers of Jesus, we want to have good theology and good doxology. Like, what does that mean? Um, as followers of Jesus, listen, God desires that we know truth, we know who he is. God desires that we apply the truth, that we live out the truth, that that truth shapes us and moves us emotionally even. That the truth doesn't just sit there like it's weighty information, but actually does something to our heart. Theology is the study of God. Doxology is the application of your study of God. Please hear this. There's people in here who love to read. They love systematic theology. They love books. There's people in here who hate that. But they love this, and that is a wonderful thing. But God's desire is that it moves to doxology, where it moves to actually the application of what we know. See, there's certain things we know about God, but it needs to come out of our lips. It needs to come out of our lifestyle. It needs to come out of who we are. Again, I'll put this definition up here just so you can kind of see it this way. Uh, Doxology is, is an expression of praise to God. It's the application of the Word of God. A verse I'll, I'll read quote later, but it's so important. It's John 4, where Jesus is describing the heart of worship, and he says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. You can say the truth is that theology. Spirit is that doxology. We worship God. We got to know we're worshiping the right God. Who is God? What is he like? We need to know truth. We need to know theology. But once you know those things, you need to apply it. You need to sing it. You need to celebrate. You need to submit to it. You need to live it out. Amen? You follow me on this? I love what one author said. Um, He put, theology without doxology is dead orthodoxy. Doxology without theology theology is idolatry. What does this mean? Um, Theology without doxology. When you have information without praise, it's just dead religion. Just dead just vain religion when you have a lot of knowledge, but it's not living out. It's hard for me when I see maybe different pastors throughout my time or leaders in the church, and you go, they have so much knowledge, but they never worship, they never sing, they never praise. What is, what is up with that? And then you can have the opposite, which is doxology. Maybe you love to sing and worship and praise. You're more artsy, but without theology, it's idolatry. You're like excited and you're very like into it, but you have no idea like what you're worshiping. You don't know truth. There's nothing concrete, no substance behind it. See, we need this blend of good theology and doxology. One way to put it is truth without spirit is empty religion. Spirit without truth is idolatry. Again, truth without the Holy Spirit is empty religion. Please do not have truth without the Holy Spirit. That's just empty. 
And please don't have just the spirit without truth, without substance and meaning and weight that is idolatry. Follow me? Track with me? So let's, let's look at this, the practice of worship. Because it might take some time. It might cha- take some, I actually am going to practice doing things I'm not comfortable doing. So we're going to look at what is worship, why worship, and how can we worship. So what is worship, why should we worship, how can we worship. Number one, what is worship? What is worship? If you had to like define it or look at it, what is worship? This is really kind of like a conglomerate of definitions uh, when people talk about worship. Like, what is worship? Here's the idea. Worship is the act of ascribing ultimate value to something in a way that engages your whole person, your whole being. Please do not miss that. Worship is the act. I'm ascribing value uh, to something in a way that engages your whole person, your whole being. Let's look at verse 1, Psalm 95, verse 1. Can we read that again? Psalm 95, verse 1. He says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him. Look at verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down and let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. And the end of verse 7, end of verse 8, he says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Here's what I want to point out to you really quick. It involves the whole person, the whole person. Worship is ascribing ultimate value to someone, and it involves all of us. It's your mind, it's your emotions, it's your will. Write that down. It's your mind, it's your emotions, it's your will. It's everything. When he says, let us sing, let us shout, that's emotions. Let us shout joyfully to the Lord. That's going to involve your emotions. Some of you may need to hear that. It's going to involve your emotions. We'll talk about that. Um, when he says, let us kneel, let us bow down, that invokes our will. I'm choosing to kneel. I'm choosing to bow down. When he says, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The idea is, my mind is thinking about this. I hear God saying something. I hear God speaking to us. And I either choose to follow it or to deny it. It involves my mind. So I want you to like write this down because worship involves all of us. There, there's a side of it or all, all the whole being of us. There's a side of it where I got, my mind really matters. What I think about matters. My emotions, what I know, it should change and affect my emotions. And it should actually lead to an act of will. I'm choosing to bow down. I'm choosing to kneel. Is this making sense? Listen, this involves all of you. Because here, here's the idea. Sometimes I think in the church you can have maybe this overly emotional, unhealthy kind of instability where there's no real process of, God, I hear your word, I'm thinking about it, and in response, there's going to be, a, there's going to be a change. Or maybe, again, it's just information to you, and you love to hear this stuff. You love to study God's word. People say, I love, I want to know more about God. It's like, yes, but when you know more, does that lead to lifestyle change? Does that lead to song and praise and worship and submission to the word of God? It's not just about attaining information. So some of you might be afraid of showing emotions to God. I remember being in middle school. I remember like when worship kind of changed for me when I was like going to church in middle school. Uh, I remember like we'd sing like uh, Father Abraham, like those songs, remember that? I'd sing that like in elementary. And then in middle school, like we had worship. And I'm like, oh man. And I remember always like there's one buddy of mine who I would just see him worship praises. And he was like the cool kid. And I'm like, this guy's actually worshiping. And this was like, that's not weird. You can't be cool in worship. And it's just so many emotions and thoughts going through my mind. God was trying to shape me, I I believe. And it was just funny when when you see that and you're walking through that as an adult. And you're going, but that's not me. I'm not the guy that raises my hands. I'm not the guy that tears up or sits down or kneels or bows down. I'm just not, and God is saying, no, but I'm, I'm calling you to this. You see, what we know about God must change our day-to-day life. It must change our emotions. It must change everything about us. If you're gaining knowledge of God, but it's not changing who you are, I don't know if you're truly gaining the right knowledge of God. It has to shape us and change us. 
It absolutely does. So for some of you, you are afraid maybe of emotions. For others of you, maybe you're afraid of a book. Maybe you're afraid of act rich, deep. You're like, huh. But maybe you are like, I don't want to study theology. I don't want to go deep into this. And God's like, no, no. The more you might know in this way, it, it will affect you. You know, it's, there's some of those books I might read that I can just read for information, but there's times where you're reading a book and you're like, wow, God's spirit is taking this information and just placing it deep into my inner being. And it's changing how I think as a husband, as a dad, as a friend, as a, it's just changing everything about me. And that's what the whole idea of God's word should do to us. He says, hey, let us shout joyfully. There should be emotion. Hey, bow down. Eventually, your mind, your emotion, you should, your act of will, you should choose to follow Jesus. You should choose to bow down. Hey, if you hear his voice, your mind is going to be involved in this process. It affects all of us. And I do want you to hear the body language in this. Um, when you read all of the Psalms, and I kind of mentioned this, but you'll read verses like, shout, sit, stand, raise your hands, clap, there's a lot of different body language used in the Psalms. Psalm 150 is beautiful. It talks about play, you know, stringed instruments and clanging cymbals. Like, Why do you have a band? Like Psalm 150 says to have one. The idea for us is it is a beautiful thing to when you, you see it as a whole. When you look at it as a whole, you go, God, I, wanna, I want this to shape me and change me. So here's the thing. Practically for some of you, you're like, I don't get the whole raising the hand things. You don't have to do it. But you know what? That might just be, God, I just give you all of me. God, I surrender to you. God, here's my life. Maybe you're raising your hands as like, God, this is me. I'm giving my life to you. Or God, I call upon you or I'm seeking you. Whatever it might be. You might have some sort of prayer as you lift your hands when you kneel, when you bow down. If you're in your room alone and you're just on your face before God and you're saying, God, you are God and I'm not. You are worthy and I'm not. See, I want you to see this will change and affect all of us. So worship involves the whole being. You tracking with me. Your mind, your will, your emotions, all of you should be changed by what you know about God and, and see from you, and it, it will affect all of us. Amen? Amen, yes? So let's look again at the first part of that definition. Worship is the act of ascribing ultimate value. Uh, the old English word or Anglo-Saxon word for worship is, or worship was worth-ship. The idea was like, I'm giving worth to this, and you're ascribing worth to it, and again, it affects you. So the best way I can kind of illustrate this is, um, there's a show maybe you've heard of or watched, it's called Pawn Stars. Make sure I say it clearly, Pawn Stars. Um, if you've ever seen that show or heard that show, people kind of bring their junk or stuff from their house to these guys in like Las Vegas, and they try to, you know, they try to pawn it or they try to sell it. So make sure you're tracking with me. So uh, I watched an episode years ago, and it, was so, it just stuck with me. This lady brought in uh, a spider uh, Fabergé, fa Fabergé spider, Fabergé brooch, I don't know. It's Russian, I guess. She brought in this like beautiful diamond spider thing. You can see it here. She brought this in. She brings it to Rick. She brought it to the main guy in the, in the store. Maybe you saw this episode. You're like, I know what he's talking about. But she brings this in, and she goes, hey, this was like my grandma's. You know, it's like a family heirloom, but I really need the money. I'm, I'm trying to get $2,000 for this. And normally, they try to like haggle down. Like, no, I'll give you 300 right? But you see him looking at this, and he puts like the little eyepiece in, and he's looking at it, and you see him go like, he's like, I can't do that. She's like, what? He's like, I can't give you $2,000. Uh, I can give you $15,000, though. She's like, what? He actually went up. He's like, yeah, like, you don't know what you have in your hands. This is actually made by blah, 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 uh, some guy. It's, and it's very, it's very difficult to make this. No one makes these things like this anymore. And uh, it's worth much more than $2,000, so I'll give you $15,000. So if you watch the episode, she actually takes the $15,000. I went on later and Googled how much is this worth. It's worth about $80,000. Um, he's a nice, you know, nice guy to give her more, but I love that he like, definitely made a lot of profit. Um, and here's what I think about with, when it comes to worship. Here's what I mean by this. Like when Rick was viewing this, you know, beautiful spider filled with rubies and diamonds, whatever, he's looking at it. You see him looking at it. You see his mind processing. His eyes get big. And then you see in a sense like an act of worship where he goes, you don't know what you have 
what you have is so valuable. You're undervaluing what you have. I need you to start overvaluing. I need you to start valuing what you actually have in your hands. And here's the idea. I think many times we can treat God like we just carry God through life. And like you have this priceless, beautiful, infinitely worthy, just God. And we don't know what we have. And we need someone to go, do you know what you have? I don't think you know what you have. I don't think you know how much this is worth. I think you're kind of treating it like a family heirloom. And I don't think you realize that this is, this is just priceless. You see, when it comes to worship, the idea is you're thinking on God, you're meditating on God, and then there's just something where your soul responds. You know, when I said that song, then sings my soul, it's like when I think of how you made the heavens and the earth, when I think about how you've forgiven me of my sins, then sings my soul. Like there's this response to just who God is and what he's done. You see, worship will involve the whole being. I love what David Platt said. He says, the inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all earthly things. And then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in demonstrable acts of praise from the lips and demonstrable acts of love in serving others for the sake of Christ. That is worship. When you go, I have, I have something so priceless, so valuable, I can't even put a price on this, and it just leads to just a lifestyle change. It leads to song. It leads to praise. He goes, this is worship. Can we just really, we, we sung a song, I think it's the second song, talking about the elders and the, when you think about Revelation chapter four and five, and if you read that, go read that. There's this idea of, here's Jesus, the Lamb of God who's slain before the foundations of the world. The elders are looking at him. The, this heavenly being creature is looking at him. They're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Here's what worship is. Worship really is tapping into really what ultimate reality is. You see, here's what I want us to get. When we go through life and you kind of go, this is hard. Bills are hard. Family's hard. Life is hard. And then you come here on a Sunday. You come here some, in a group in your home and you're worshiping God. You're praising God. Worship is really tapping into true, what's really going on in the universe. Like what's really happening you know, I want to say this. When we have a call to worship at, at 1030, this is an invitational song. I'm saying, come, let us, come. When we at 1030 say, hey, let us stand and worship. When we give this invitation to worship, can I tell you, worship does not start at 1030. Worship's been going on through all of eternity, and we're just joining in at that time. We're saying, oh, it's 10, let's just join in with all of creation, with all of heaven. They're already praising him. They're already worshiping, and we're tapping into what's really going on in heaven. We're tapping into what true reality. So when you go, life is, here's what worship does for us. We go, life is hard. Life is difficult. And then when you worship, you go, oh, wait, who's on the throne? Who's worthy of all praise, honor, and glory? Who are we living for? What is true reality? What is ultimate reality? What are we really living for? And worship lets us tap into true reality. Does this make sense? Like, what's really going on? What's really happening? And it puts our problems in perspective, and it just shrinks all of that, and you go, oh my gosh, this is what it's really all about. This is what's happening right now in this moment. Um, let me read to you what Richard Foster says about worship. He says, to worship is to experience reality, to touch life. It is to know, to feel, to experience the resurrected Christ in the midst of the gathered community. It is breaking into the Shekinah of God, or better yet, being invaded by the Shekinah of God. You're like, what is the Shekinah of God? Here's the idea. Shekinah means the glory or the radiance of God dwelling in the midst of his people. It denotes the immediate presence of God as opposed to a God who is abstract or aloof. The idea was in the Old Testament when that God's presence was so near and so clear. It said, it said God's presence or glory is this word Shekinah. is like God's presence and glory is amongst his people. And he's saying true reality is when you have that sense of God is amongst his people. God inhabits, his, inhabits the praises of his people. He's here. He's near. There's just something really unique about this. 
a guy named Brother Lawrence who wrote a lot about like practicing the presence of God, and I've mentioned him before. He, he said this, those who have once tasted the Shekinah of God in daily experience can never again live satisfied without the practice of the presence of God. Once you kind of experience this, you guys want more of this. You know, for us in the morning, we gather and we're worshiping and we're singing and we're praising and we go, oh my gosh, God, the problems I face this week, it's nothing. It's nothing in comparison to who you are. This is true reality. This is what it's about. See, worship is ascribing ultimate value. Worship is really tapping into a true reality. Worship is giving God what is worthy, what he's due. That's, that's what this is. Now, why do we do this, guys? Why do we do this, though? So that, that's what it is, but why, why do we do this? Um, why do we worship? Look at verse 3. Verse 3 is interesting. He says, For the Lord is the great God and the great king above all gods. The great king above all gods. Why do we worship? Here's the idea. If you want to take note, write this down. Everyone worships. So why do we do this? It's because everyone worships. You know, I've talked to friends or family or like, you know, neighbors who go, I don't believe in God. I don't need anything to do with this. And it's interesting. They're like, they act like they don't worship. I'm, I'm not a person of faith. Let me just say this. Everyone worships. Everyone gives value to something. Everyone finds meaning and value from something. It's not that there's people who worship and people who don't worship. If you're like, well, I'm not really a worshiper, you worship, right? Everyone, we all see something, go to something, and respond with hype. All of us worship to some extent. So he says, he's a great God above all gods. He's above all gods. So meaning everyone, there's, everyone has a little G God. Everyone worships something. Everyone gives value to something. But he's above all of that. So why do we worship? Because you're worshiping anyways. Like right now, right now, you are currently worshiping a relationship, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. Right now, if they were to leave you or to break up with you, life would be over. Why? Because that's your God. Right now, maybe you're worshiping your career. You're worshiping your retirement. Everyone right now is finding value in something going, "If if I have this, I have meaning. If I have this, I have value. And if this were taken away from me, then I lose all value and I lose all meaning. All of us worship someone or something. It's just so clear. I'm a quote from a movie that might offend a lot of you, and I'm sorry. Um, in one of the Harry Potter movies, um, there is something called the Mirror of Erised. All right, the Mirror of Erised. And I think it's in the Sorcerer's Stone. Anyways, um, in the, the movie, this this Mirror of Erised, and backwards, it's Desire. Erised, Desire. So back, it's the Mirror of Desire. And so uh, when different people stand in front of the mirror, they see ultimately what they crave and long for. And in the movie, you'll see Ron, Harry's friend, standing in front of the mirror, and they show him as like this champion of, uh, I think, Quidditch. Is that what it's called? Quidditch? They show him like as this champion of like Qu- Quidditch? Is that the right word? I feel like it's wrong. Okay, Quidditch. They show him like celebrating, being cheered, like, yay, Ron. Like for him, his ultimate value is like, I want to be regarded and praised. I want to be celebrated. I want to be the cool kid in the class. This is what he longed for. When Harry, if you remember in the mirror or, or movie or books, when he stands in front of the mirror, what does he see? He sees his family. He sees his parents who lost as a baby. And you see him later, you know, standing in front of the mirror and Dumbledore, and I'm, yes, I'm going to quote Dumbledore, Dumbledore comes up to him and says this. He says to Harry, you have to get rid of this mirror because people waste away in front of this mirror. He's like, many people spent their lives standing in front of this mirror and they just waste their lives. They're looking for something that they can never have, never attain, and they waste away in front of it. And here's the idea. All of us, all of us have that thing that we go, I want that. If I have that, then I will feel complete. If I have that, then I'll have ultimate meaning and value. And here is the idea. If you and I were to stand in front of that mirror, what would we see? Like, what, what, would come, what would come? What are you craving? What are you wanting? What are you seeking after? And here's the idea of the Bible. The Bible is saying, it'd just be you enjoying God. If you were to stand in front of that, it'd just be you resting and enjoying your God, your Savior. That you don't need anything else to be complete, to be made whole. That's all you need. 
You see, all of us give ultimate value to something or someone. All of us worship something and someone. And he's saying, listen, why do you, he is the great God. He's the great king above all gods. This is what we're made to worship. This is who we're designed and we're satisfied in. So if you've ever read that word or seen the word hallelujah, for example, hallelujah. When we say, you're like, what am I saying? Hallelujah is this word. It's like hallel, yeah, praise God, praise Yahweh, praise the Lord. Uh, this word hallelujah might mean even just boast in the Lord, glory in the Lord. And here is the idea. So when you see that word hallelujah, it's saying to us, boast in God, praise God, glory in God. You're going to boast in something. You're going to glory in something. You're going to find meaning in something. If you're going to do that, do it in the one you're created for. Boast in Yah, in Yahweh, in God. Boast in glory in the one you're made for. Because you're going to boast in something. You're going to look to something. You're going to crave something that gives you passion and meaning. And it's saying, boast in the one who will fulfill all those desires of your heart. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Boast in the Lord. Jeremiah 9 summarizes it really well. In Jeremiah 9, it says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. He's don't glory in your riches, don't glory in your might, but glory in me. Glory in the fact that you know God. If you're going to boast in anything, church, if you're going to boast in anything, boast in the fact that you know Jesus, that God who made you and designed you, made you in his image, he loves you, he created you, he's given you value and purpose. He goes, boast in that, boast in those things. You see, because all of us do crave and, and find value in something, and we should find it in the right thing. You know, C.S. Lewis, to put it, I think, put it the best about desire. He, he wrote about this in The Weight of Glory, his book. He said this. He says, listen, because this is so good. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. For us in today's language, it's like, man, kids would rather just go outside and play in the mud and the dirt when it's like, don't you know there's other things that are the better things that you can enjoy and appreciate? And he goes, listen, it's not that you have too strong of desires, but your desires are too weak. We desire things that will never fulfill us, never satisfy us. You, you, you glory and boast and seek things that will never truly meet that inner craving of your soul. So let me ask you, if you were to lose that thing in your life that brings you meaning and value, would it make, your, would it make you like life crumble or fall apart? Would it make you kind of go, it's okay, I lost, I lost X because I still have God. And if I have him, I have everything else. Yes, I went through extreme pain and suffer and loss and I would never wish that upon anyone else. But you know what? My life's not over because my life is found in Jesus. So the whole idea for us as a church is to have your life found in Jesus so when everything else falls apart, you have life. You have, Jesus. you have the most important thing. You're created to worship. You're going to worship something. Why not worship the one you're created for? Amen? Number three is this. How do we worship? How do we worship? And in this psalm, it's, it's pretty clear. It actually gives us really specific details. So how do we worship? Here's the first thing I want you to see. Number one is this. Community worship. Worship together. What does he say over and over? Let us shout Come, let us kneel, let us bow. Um, I want you to kind of see this idea of like community saying, when you worship, worship together. There is nothing like a group of people who love Jesus, believe in Jesus, walk into church with this holy expectation and encounter Jesus. If you've been a part of some of those moments, I hope here even, where you go, wow, Jesus is so present, he's so near. Like there's nothing like getting together with other believers who say, God will show up here in the midst. Um, a guy named, I think it was, let me sure I say it right, Donna Whitney, he said this, there's an element of worship in Christianity that cannot be experienced in private worship or by watching worship. There are some graces and blessings that God gives only in 
and meeting together with other believers. There's some graces and blessings that God just gives only when we come together. There really is something very unique about the church gathering together in the name of Jesus, saying Jesus will be here. Jesus will show up in the midst. The Spirit will move. The Spirit will heal. He'll cleanse. He'll forgive. There's something about getting together with people who believe that, who come together and say God really does uniquely work when the body of Christ comes together, when we take communion, when we celebrate. When we bat- There's something unique happening that could never happen alone. L- listen, again, Psalm 95, let us shout. Let us sing. Let us bow. Let us kneel. This is something we do together. Church, I cannot encourage you enough. I would love this. If everyone came in early to church, before 10.30, before the music started, and you sat and you prayed for like a moment and just said, God, show up. God, be so near. Again, worship does not start at 10.30, even though it does, and please be here, be here early. But if you came early and you say, you know what, I want to come with this holy expectation that God's going to show up and do something incredible. I believe God will show up and do something incredible. We see that. I want to be around other people who take God at his word and say, yes, Lord. We're not going to forsake this. We're going to come together and worship and watch you move in a powerful way. Um, maybe you've heard of like C.S. Lewis and J.R.L. Tolkien and uh, Charles Williams. There's this friend group that met together. They're called the Inklings. All right, they're little three friends. And they name themselves. I don't know. That's cool. Maybe back then. Um, maybe you do that. But they name themselves. They're the Inklings. They're these guys who would you know smoke pipes, talk about literature. They're writers. You know, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings. I mean, they're brilliant, brilliant guys that would come together. And uh, one of the guys, Charles, died. And it, it changed the whole dynamic of the group. And I want you to, I want you to hear what C.S. Lewis said. He says, um, th- he says, in each of my friend, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. He goes, by myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into, cap- uh, into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Now that Charles is dead... I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Caroline joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. We possess each friend, not less, but more as the number of those with whom we share him increases. He's saying, now that this friend has passed away, I thought I'd have more of him, but he's passed away, I actually have less of him because he brought out something in him I could never bring out. And here's the idea when it comes to worship. I think when you have the body of Christ coming together, you know, some of you have obviously have different gifts than the person next to you. And when it comes to exhortation, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, when it comes to the gift of helps, general, all these different gifts, when they come together, it just brings something out. I love when the church comes together because I think it brings something out of us. It brings something out of our worship experience. When you have people coming together from different backgrounds, diversities, giftings, callings, and saying, we're going to call upon God, and it brings something out. Listen, how do we worship? We worship in community. Let us sing. Let us bow. But number two, listen, we worship with spirit-filled worship. Spirit-filled worship. We need to have a worship, and that is not necessarily clearly in the text, but it is that you have a worship experience that's just filled with the presence and the Spirit of God. Um, it's Ephesians chapter 5. It says this, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Be filled with the Spirit. How? How? By speaking to another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So that could be a psalm, that could be a hymn, that could be a song we write ourselves, a spiritual song. But he goes, this is how you're filled with the Holy Spirit, by singing. This is fascinating to me. You go, I want to be filled with the Spirit. How? Sing. Speak to another. Psalms and hymns. Be filled by. This is really, because people think it's this complex thing. How am I filled with the Spirit? Sing to God. Praise Him. 
sing, read, read a psalm to someone, be filled with the Spirit speaking to another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You know, let me just say this. You and I can never manufacture the Holy Spirit. We can never do anything like, oh, if we just do this, the Holy Spirit will come. We cannot manufacture it. But I love what one author said. He goes, we cannot manufacture the Holy Spirit, but what we can do is be like a good sailor. We can like throw up our sail, and when the wind blows, we're ready to go. You know, we can't force it. We can't manipulate him. We can't manipulate the Spirit. But when the Spirit does come, listen, throw up the sail and go, God, just lead me, take me, speak over me, speak into this person's life. I want you to move. We need a Spirit-filled worship service. This is what we crave, amen? We worship together. We, we crave the Holy Spirit. We're going to throw up our sails and say, God, you speak and you move. And lastly is this. We need to have a word-based worship, a word-based worship. He's literally quoting from the Old Testament. He's, he's looking back at the stories of old, and he's saying this should influence how you and I worship. Uh, here's the verse, Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Again, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The word of Christ should dwell in you and dwell in me richly, speaking. To, so the word of God should move and, and, and lead our worship. We should sing scripture we should look at scripture of God, who he is, and we should talk about it. That's why we preach. That's why we teach. The word of God should dwell in us. That will shape how we sing and praise and worship in every way. I love this. If you read the Psalms, can I tell you guys, it's never this really complex thing. It's never really difficult. It's like God's faithfulness is new every morning, or great is the Lord, or merciful is the Lord, or faithful is our God. Usually it's some simple truth about God repeated over. And I love that worship when you have a simple phrase repeated, and it's God get it deep into my soul, deep into him, have a word-based worship. Warren Wearsby said, too often Christian praise is nothing but religious entertainment. and It never moves into spiritual enrichment in the presence of the Lord. Too often it's just entertainment. It never moves to spiritual enrichment. Let it be spiritual enrichment. So let me just end with this. This is a beautiful psalm on worship, and then it's a really weird ending. Do you guys catch the ending? He goes, let us sing, let us shout, shout joyfully. And he goes, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This is in the day of rebellion. Like, Ugh. This is a very intense ending. And it's one of those things like, what is this? What's being said here? If you would, turn to Hebrews 3. Because in Hebrews 3, this psalm is quoted, and I think gives us some insight. Why is there worship? Why is there a warning? Worship and warning. So Hebrews chapter 3, if you would, turn there. We'll just read that briefly. But Hebrews 3. This worship leads to a warning. Hebrews chapter 3, look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. It says, Hebrews 3 verse 7, as the Holy Spirit says, let's stop there. Psalm 95 was written by who? The Holy Spirit. I want you to hear that. The author of Hebrews says, the Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes Psalm 95 verse 7 through 11. So we're going to skip verse 7 through 11 here. It's ironic, it's the same verses. Go to verse 12. It says, beware brethren, so in light of this, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is still called today, quoting the psalm, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Verse 16. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Okay, track with me. He's saying, let us worship, let us sing, let us shout, praise God above all their gods. And he goes, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart right now. And then, this psalm, and then Hebrews 3 quotes the psalm saying, yes, listen, 
do not miss this. God swore they'd not enter into his rest. Why? Because they heard the word of God, but they did not follow it. They heard the word of God, but they did not mix it with faith. God promised them promised land, but they never went, entered in. Here's the idea. Do you remember when Moses led the nation of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea, and they're wandering the wilderness, and then God promised them this promised land, and they're like, we're not really sure. There's giants in the land. Let's send out spies. Let's see what the land is like. These 12 spies go out into the promised land. They're spying it out. They see these giants, but they also see like beautiful like figs and giant grapes, and you can read what they see. But they come back to Moses, and 10 out of the 12 spies say, Moses, there's giants in the land. I know God promised us this land, but we cannot enter, and they're going to kill us. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. But there are two spies who saw the promised land, came back and said, no, God promised us, we're going to take them, we're going to eat them up, like we're going to eat them like bread. He's like, we're going to take this. Who are those two spies who believe they could enter into the promised land? What were their names? Joshua and Caleb. The two spies come back and say, no, no, God said it, it is our land, let's take it. There was two who heard the word of God and believed. There's 10 who didn't. Now I do find this interesting, because I've, I've done this many times, I've even preparing for this. I'll try to read, it names all 12 spies. And I'll go back and read the 10 other spies' names. But let me ask you a question. Give me one of the 10 spies that did not believe God. Like, I cannot remember one out of 10 spies. I cannot, I cannot tell you their names. And, and here's what I see. Those who do not take God at his word, those who do not believe, those who are not willing to risk it, I believe they're, like, forgotten. I believe we look at it and go, I, don't, I, don't even, I can't even tell you when there are 10 names. But the two that by faith heard God's word and said, let's enter in. We remember Joshua and Caleb. We name our kids Josh. Like, we love these names because it just speaks of faith and audacity. And here's why I'm bringing this up. Listen, when it comes to worship, there is a warning. When it comes to worship, God is saying, if you worship me, you will enter this rest. If you do not worship and obey me, you will never enter into this rest. So here's the idea right now. You've heard God's, I've heard it. Why do we seek to apply it and do it? Why do we have practices and dis- why do we do this? Because there's a blessing of rest. There's a blessing of knowing God and enjoying God. There's a blessing of saying, if you hear God's word and believe it, you'll enter in. If you hear God's word and don't believe it, you won't enter in. Here's what I'm saying today. If you hear God speaking to you, if the Holy Spirit is saying to you, you need Jesus, believe in Jesus, trust in Jesus, look to Jesus, and you're saying, no, no, I've heard this before, and you ignore it. He says, do not ignore it. Do not harden your hearts. It led to a lot of people who never entered into the promised land. If you hear God's word speaking to you, say, I believe it. I trust it. God promised me this. I'm going to enter in. I'm going to walk into it. And I would say to you right now, if you hear God speaking to you saying, worship me, bow down before me, kneel before me, forsake all other gods and and remember who your true king of kings is and lord of lords is, if you do this, you'll enter my rest. If you do this, you'll find exactly why you're created and what you're created for. People are, I think, are always searching and longing for some other thing and going to relationship or drink or drug or anything to find this meaning and value because they're not finding it in the one that they were created for. And God's saying there's a warning attached to worship. You either worship me or you don't. There's not this a kind of worship you. It's either you worship me with all of your heart or you don't. Church, please, I beg you to worship Jesus, submit to Jesus, follow Jesus, trust in Jesus, walk with Jesus, you'll enter into that rest. If you don't and you just go through the motions or just a head knowledge or just emotional thing without truth, you'll never fully enter. We worship him with our whole being, with our mind, with our emotions, with our will. Amen? Here's how we're going to end our time. We're going to worship Jesus through communion. We're going to worship Jesus by eating of his body and drinking of his blood. We're going to take that cracker and hold that cup and say, Jesus, thank you for your body that you broke for me. Thank you for your blood that was shed for my forgiveness of sins. And church, please don't miss this. Listen, 
if you believe in Jesus, enjoy it. Enjoy. This is why you're, cre- you're created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Enjoy him. Enjoy this moment. And if you do not believe in Jesus, there's no need to take communion and there's no need to remember something you don't even believe in. But if you want to right now in this moment say, I, want, I believe and I want to take and I want to just eat and I want to drink and I want to celebrate the fact that Jesus paid and purchased my sins, then take and eat and drink. But we're going to pray. We're going to sing some songs to God. We're going to worship and we're going to pass out communion. I'm going to say, as you're ready in your seat, just take it, celebrate him. We're going to pass it out. I'm not going to come back up here and explain it. You guys, listen, as you hold that cup, as you hold that and you look at that and say, Jesus, thank you for your blood that was shed for my forgiveness. Just, just thank him. Just celebrate him. As you hold that little cracker, say, God, thank you for your blood or your body that was broken for me. Thank you, God, that you were broken so I, me who was broken could be put back together. Thank you. As you just pray that and talk to him, I want you to just enjoy Jesus. I want this to be a spiritual act of worship. We're going to worship. We're going to bow. We're going to kneel. We're going to praise. We're going to shout. So take, eat, and drink as you're ready, and then we're going to have some, uh, our worship team up here worshiping. Let's do that right now. We'll pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the fact that we can come to you and remember, remember your son Jesus who said, come to me, all of those who are weary. That we thank you for the truth and revelation that you say to your bride, come. You say to us, come. Lord, we come to you now just to remember you, remember the sacrifice you made for us on the cross. God, to remember the fact that our sins have been paid for to remember that we can have a deep relationship with you again because of what you've done. So God, I just ask that you'd be so near, so present as we just even celebrate the fact, Jesus, that you paid for our sins and rose again. We ask that you'd be here. So we thank you now. We praise you now, Jesus, in your wonderful name. Amen. Um, as you guys would just come up and pass out communion.